Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sketchnote Army podcast. This is Mike Rohde, your host and the author of the Sketchnote Handbook and the Sketchnote Workbook. Today, I have with me Matthew McGain from Down Under in Australia. Matthew, how are you? I am great. Thank you, Mike. Very well. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Um, whereabouts in Australia are you, uh, are you coming from? I live in Melbourne, Melbourne, Victoria. Yeah, Melbourne is kind of famous for its four seasons in one day. I guess everyone who hasn't been to Australia assumes that um, the weather is hot all the time. It's not the case. We get a lot of rain. We do get plenty of cold days in Melbourne. But actually, today is going to be pretty hot. Hmm. So everyone in Melbourne dresses for um, every condition and is prepared for whatever the city will throw at us. Interesting. That sounds like an interesting place to go. And uh, being someone who lives in the seasons, I, w- I would appreciate seasons. So if I went somewhere in Australia, I'd probably want somewhere with variety. So that sounds like a place for me, maybe. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great city. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of um, great places to eat at and sport and culture. It's a fantastic city. Excellent. Well, you're coming to us because uh, we've had we've been connected through sketchnoting for years now. Um, as you were part of the, the sketch notebooks and that we crossed paths, I think probably before that as well. Uh, why don't we start by having you tell us about yourself and uh, what you're doing uh, these days? Sure thing. So um, I came to sketch noting, I forget where I saw the first sketch note online, but it's kind of something that I've always done without really knowing that's what it was called. If I look through some of my um, high school and university workbooks, there are there are doodles in the sidebars and there's a lot of kind of different forms of type and hierarchy and, and sketches going on as I was recording lectures. So I guess it's something I've done for a while. But I, yeah, I was working as a user experience designer at a company that I had the good fortune to attend a lot of conferences in that role. So there was a lot of attending conferences about JavaScript and PHP and, and web design. And I just kind of was doing this, sketchnoting stuff in the audience and um, photographing these sketches and putting them online. And that very act of, of sharing them, you know, has just opened up so many opportunities. I can really trace back to, uh, well, yourself reaching out and saying, hey, Matt, I like the sketches you're doing. Can you contribute two pages to the sketchnote handbook, which was a great honour? But also about the same time, um, a guy that I knew that worked at Microsoft he saw them online and he said, um, can you come and do that on stage at a conference for me? And I thought about that and I thought, wow, that's a whole different ball game, but I'll back myself and I'll see how I go. And, you know, in hindsight, I look at the one meter by one meter graphic recording that I did on stage for that event. And I'm, you know, I feel like it's horrible and the perfectionist in me wants to pick it apart. But really that was, you know, that was, uh, that was good enough for the, for the moment. And that was my first uh, graphic recording gig. And um, yeah, now graphic recording and graphic facilitation is one of the core services that we offer at my company. But um, I'm getting sidetracked. But the other thing that happened about the same time was that that same guy who invited me to speak at the conference said, that reminds me of some of these videos that are coming out on YouTube. And he pointed me to the cognitive media um, sketch video of Dan Pink's TED Talk Drive. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I'd seen that style of video and I was just blown away. I thought, wow, not only is this like a really engaging and, and fascinating way to present content, but I also thought 
I could do this. <laughs> I, I knew that my next door neighbor was a um, videographer. He worked operating cameras for TV stations for years. And uh, I, I, about that time, I had an idea to start my own company. And so I approached him and I said, Simon, if you film me shooting this thing and edit it, I'll redesign your website for free. And so we did that deal. And um, that was the very first sketch video we made. And so in parallel, um, these sketch videos that I started creating and these sketch notes that I started creating um, grew in demand. And um, that company that I started with that sketch video as the idea for launching the website, uh, I've since stepped away from because all of my freelance design clients all said, hey, I really like that video. Can you do one for me? And, and the demand just grew. Uh, we refined our process. I grew the team. And yeah, these days, um, Sketch Group, we have about 12 illustrators. I have the same videographer who's still my next-door neighbor. We shoot our videos uh, in the studio that he has built on his property, which is very convenient because it's a very short walk to work. And um, yeah, marketing, copywriting, admin person, it's a real little team that's become bigger than me, which is crazy and and well beyond what I had conceived of when I first thought that I would work for myself. Wow. That's quite the quite the story, the journey, uh, and very uh, wonderful to hear that you've expanded into this small team. Actually, not that small of a team. That's uh, that's the typical size of a design firm. If, if I, at least in the U.S., I imagine in Australia, it's not so far off, right? Ten to twelve people is not is a pretty decent sized firm for a relatively small firm. It's uh, yes, it's it's kind of um, surreal to think about the fact that. Uh, we are a real, um, I guess it's a, it's a real company now. Like I, I, for a long time, I just thought of it as me doing a bunch of stuff with a bunch of contractors helping me out. But now, you know, I have, um, I have a team who are depending on me for uh, work and um, financial obligations. And so I've really had to adapt and grow in order to um, move into the role of running the business. So it's, uh, it's been a, a really interesting and um, period for me to have to rethink a few things about, you know, what that means for my role and what it is I want to do and where are my strengths and all of that. It's, it, but it's been great. I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. Definitely a growth. That sounds like a growth opportunity. And I wanted to mention something that you said that I really liked, and it was um, it was good enough for the moment. And I, I really like the way you yeah. phrased that. Yeah, I think... I think if I look back in the, the stuff that I've done, that's sort of the way I've approached things too. Is like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this, but I'm going to go for it. Sort of back myself in a corner, and often I've felt the same way. Well, it's it's pretty good. It's good enough for what I needed to do, but I can make it better. And then, you know, driving to make it better. I think that's such a great attitude to have in general. Yeah, and I think uh, especially for that specific event, part of the novelty was me being there in the first place. So I think you know if if you're a perfectionist and you're really proud of the work that you create, you probably fixate on the artifact. But certainly when it comes to live sketching on a large scale, so graphic recording, graphic facilitation at conferences or workshops or discussion panels, it's almost becomes like a performance piece. You become part of the event and uh, your demeanor and um, your attitude and your role on the day becomes as much the value that you're adding as the artifact itself. So that has been um, an interesting learning for me as well. Interesting. I was mentioning to, um, I talked to Eva Lada uh, recently. I mentioned I was very interested in um, 
doing improv because she mentioned that she was very much into improv, a specific teacher that she follows. And I had mentioned the same thing uh, to her and also Sonny Brown. And they were surprised, like, what, what drew you to that? And it was the same idea that when I do this work, even if I do it um, on my own, I feel like in a small way I'm doing a bit of a performance, you know, from either myself or maybe in, in this case for a larger group. And I've done that as well with whiteboarding for software concepts, you know, where I'm standing in front of a large group of people and uh, I'm part of this performance thing that's going on, which is kind of a, a weird and interesting idea, but actually fascinating too. Totally. And um, that became really obvious to me actually earlier this year. I was um, engaged as a graphic recorder at a conference and there was a split track. So that there were two rooms and obviously only one of me. And I, <laughs> uh, we weren't sure how to handle that. And so we thought we'd try something. And, and what I did is I planted volunteers in each of the rooms to watch the talks and then text me key quotes because I didn't have a lot of space. So it was really, I wasn't trying to capture the entire presentation. It was really more making, the organizer wanted to make sure that every presenter was included. So it didn't matter if the content of their talk was incomplete as long as they basically got a, got a Guernsey on the wall. So, um, so what I did was I sat out in the main hall and I was receiving these text messages from my volunteers and transcribing them. And it was a really, like the, the artifact at the end of the day was great, but it was a really lonely exercise to be out there in the hall on my own while everyone else was in the split track. And so I probably wouldn't do it again in hindsight. Like it, it achieved the result that the organiser wanted, but that, you know, the part, as you would know, part of the magic is being there in the room and capturing the event live and, and getting text messages. It's just not the same. And it, it was a, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it, um, being stuck out in the hall on my own and, um, you know, and you, know, you do what you got to do and it's all good, but I'd probably find a different way to tackle that, that problem next time, I say. I think it's pretty fascinating that you're willing to give it a try and that just continues to show me your willingness to be uh, a little bit on the experimental edge to see if it works because uh, maybe it doesn't work all the time, but when it does, you could be striking on something. And I think what, we, what we're going to talk about a little bit later is another another example of that sort of approach towards what we're doing. Um, so why don't we talk about that now? Actually, I was uh, we were chatting um, an email, and you mentioned that you've got something new, and, I, and I'm going to let you introduce it and talk a bit about what you're doing now with sketchnoting that's sort of pushing the boundaries again. Sure thing. So I think you're spot on. I think that I generally tend to look for something a little bit new and experimental, and and part of that is possibly because I get bored with doing the same old stuff. Um, so there is a, a wonderful conference series here in Australia, and they've also they've run conferences worldwide uh, called Web Directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team behind the Web Directions conferences uh, I've known for years, and I've, I've spoken at the conferences and, and have been engaged to sketchnote and graphic record those conferences over the years, have a great relationship. And I know that they're constantly looking for ways to merge the physical and the digital. They've done lots of stuff, pioneering, having tweets on the screen while the presenter's speaking you know, years ago, and they're always looking for something new. And so I, when I had this idea, I knew that I um, had the right team to try it with. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea came when I was attending the IFVP conference mm-hmm. in the US earlier this year, the International Forum of Visual Practitioners, which was the first time attending the conference for me and it was a, a real 
eye-opener in terms of meeting some amazing people mm-hmm. working at the, at the forefront of this field. And one of the exhibitors stands, they had a screen showing, a, it was a 3D mind map. It was uh, pretty basic and it was text connected with, uh, text as nodes connected with various lines, but it was in three dimensions and it was, you mm-hmm. could move around and see this 3D space. And I thought, what, how has that come about and how does one create that? And I, I got in touch with the folks who were behind it and ascertained that this was something that they kind of constructed by pulling in um, texts and rearranging them. It was, it was planned. It, it wasn't really like a, a real-time sketch mm-hmm. that they'd created, but that, that kind of, that plant of the seed, what if we could do that in real-time in 3D? What, what would that look like? Uh, what what would the experience be for the attendees and what would be created out of that content for the organisers of a conference to be able to utilise later? So, yeah, basically I came back to Australia. Uh, my accountant had told me that it had been a good year and I needed to buy some assets for the business <laughs> and so I took that, <laughs> took that literally and I went to the local electronics store and bought myself a VR headset. It's, it's an HTC Vive. Uh, this and the Oculus Rift are kind of um, a similar kind of system mm-hmm. and the tool that I knew that it ran was called Google Tilt Brush. So I'm not sure if this is a tool that Google has developed or if it's something they bought, but it's basically a 3D sketching tool. You can stick your headset on, you've got your tools on one hand and your brush on the other and you can paint in 3D and mm. it is so much fun. And so I've, um, yeah, I had this idea and I approached the guys that were directions and I said, what do you say we try creating some VR sketch notes at the next conference that you run? And they were totally up for it. So that was uh, exciting and scary because it meant that I'm going to be doing this sketching in front of 700 people. Um, but yeah, so it, there was a real learning curve uh, there and, and a real kind of sense of, um, like you said, being okay with something being good enough because I knew that whatever I created, I was going to be writing on the novelty factor, but also I wanted to, I wanted it to be at least something that people were slightly impressed by, not yeah. just impressed by the novelty of it. So, yeah, so have some value. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I feel like the first sketch that I did at the conference, um, you know, once again, I wasn't that happy with it, but I learned a lot and I adapted and, and changed. And then over the series of the conference, that I created four sketches, the four keynotes, um, the start and end of both days. And by the end of it, I, I was really proud of uh, the last few sketches and how they turned out. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the idea. I, it's, uh, it is experimental. I'm not sure exactly um, what the future looks like for this, but it's a lot of fun and I feel like it's opening up a lot of, possibilities for for taking this further interesting interesting i can i can respond uh having done a vr headset i don't know what the rig was but i had the you know the goggles on and all the wires and stuff and um and this guy happened to have uh the drawing pen as well some kind of a drawing pen i don't remember any of the details of it but i got to go in and he said you need to you need to try this uh drawing tool so he brought me into this space and uh inside the the vr headset uh, machine and I started just drawing. And I was like, "Wow, this is really cool!" Because you, you know, we think of uh, drawing often, very often, as sort of a flat plane, right? You got a piece of paper and a pen, or even an iPad or a Microsoft Surface, any of those devices. 
you're sort of always yeah. working on this flat plane. But when you start imagining, it's almost like being given the giving given the rights to draw on all the walls in your house, right? It had suddenly has this spatial dimensionality that's a little bit different, and it was really surprising. Um, and it's really hard to describe it. Like I can imagine. You can get. You probably have people excited about the idea, but they maybe can't fully appreciate or grasp like what it feels like to walk around this drawing you've done in this three dimensional space until they actually see it. So it was it was really exactly. interesting. Yeah. So the, so the setup that we had was um, so the presenter was on stage at the front of the room. Um, they had their their slides projected onto two large screens as per usual, and then we had a third screen that was smaller, um, just off to the side of the stage. And then a three-meter square space taped out on the floor for me to um, don the headset. Obviously, I couldn't see the speaker or the audience, and so those kind of visual cues that you would normally rely on when sketch noting were gone. It was purely the audio, mm. um, and yeah, I was just doing my thing, and so the uh, the audience could follow along by watching the screen, uh, which was showing a two D version of what I was seeing. Okay. So um, yeah, so they they could follow along. We, we did discuss uh, pushing the boundaries further and getting a bunch of Google Cardboard or, or similar mm-hmm. um, cheaper VR headsets for the front row to be able to play along in 3D. But um, the technology, uh, we thought it's an experiment. Let's just keep it simple initially and then we can maybe up the ante next time. Yeah. But that's something that's on the, on the cards for, for future experiments. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think there was mixed... There was a mixed reaction. A lot of people were super excited about it. I had a lot of people come up and want to try the headset and have a look yeah. at the sketches that we created and, and have a play themselves during the sessions, which was great. I did actually, I don't know if this is an Australian thing or if it's just the nature of being uh, kind of at the forefront of something, but I did have a couple of people say, what are you doing? You look silly. Um, where, where's the paper sketch notes that we're used to seeing? Mm-hmm. That kind of resistance to change was, mm-hmm. uh, it surprised me a little. Um, but I guess that's that's kind of normal. But overall, yeah, people were were generally pretty excited about it and excited that we were doing something new and different. I think for me, the real value came in the long tail of that content. So when, once I've created that sketch, there's a bunch of ways that we shared it with the conference attendees. So one is just a ton of still. So you can photograph mm-hmm. within the tool various parts of the sketch. Um, you can take a, a video of a sketch, so you can do a walkthrough okay. from start to finish so that people can experience the completed 3D sketch. And then uh, you can also do what's essentially like a sketch video. I guess it's uh, um, recording a, a video of the sketch being built up from scratch uh, is an, another interesting way to, to watch the sketch unfold. And then, of course, uh, because the web has evolved to catch up to VR, these there's also a hosted version of the sketch in 3D that you can browse either with a headset or just with your mouse on a desktop computer or on your phone, and you can zoom in, move around, zoom out, and explore the 3D version of the sketch. Well, that sounds really interesting, Matthew. Um, I was that was what I was very curious about is how the output looked, and it looked like it's it's actually quite a bit. And I imagine if someone's got a 3D rig and they load this file, that could be the most interesting way to do it is to uh, experience it inside the same 3D space in which you created it. Um, is uh, So would they look at it just as the finished piece or is there a possibility, like does that 3D application actually record you producing it? So could someone, let's say, sit and have the audio playing, have it synced up to the 3D 
drawing that you're doing and watch it unfold as the audio is playing. Is that something that's possible? After the fact, I think that's difficult. Uh, the, the speed at which the sketches recreated the real-time speed of drawing the thing. Mm-hmm. But certainly, uh, it would be possible to, to stream your view to someone okay. in the moment so they could follow along, definitely. Yeah, and then and the question becomes, what's more valuable for a recipient of this content to digest, the, the presenter in their slides or the, the VR sketch? And is there a way that we can combine the two somehow and have an image of the presenter in their slides projected into the environment that we're working? I don't know. There's, there's, a, whole, there's a whole lot of questions there that are unanswered and are going to be fun to, to explore. I think, I think where this technology is going to come into its own is in the world of graphic facilitation, more collaborative environments where everyone in the room has a headset and you're freed up to collaborate rather than just being the silent quarter is going to be amazing. It could be really interesting. I mean, it might look really weird from the outside, but if this small team of people all had the headsets and you were all in the same space together uh, virtually, and then you could together sort of brainstorm or work through ideas with this 3D, so you could start building things in 3D, especially for maybe physical uh, objects that maybe you're, you're working through. You could actually physically draw those things together and mark them up, and that could be an interesting experiment to do. Exactly. I mean, I think you and I both come from a background of uh, working, creating digital products. So, uh, but really, the, yeah, the idea of architects or, or service designers designing crowd flow optimization and retail experiences, you know, can you imagine how quickly you can prototype an experience and then um, walk through that experience as a consumer. Um, I'm sure that there are agencies um, doing this stuff now, but it's, it's, it's really opened, it's opened my eyes as to the possibilities. Wow, this is, uh, it's really exciting. And I think um, Matthew's going to have samples uh, that he'll share. We can put in the show notes if you're kind of curious about this, which I'm curious about. Any other thoughts regarding sort of this VR sketchnoting and uh, how it's impacting sort of your business and where you see things going forward before we move to the next part? Um, yeah, I suppose um, the main learning for me from the experience has, uh, has been interesting. So the very first sketch that I did, the first sketch I said I wasn't that proud of, um, I guess much to the way that you've described in your book about layouts, I think I realised after that sketch that it's really important to have a good layout in mind before starting the sketch. Um, but exactly what that looks like when there's no canvas and you can go anywhere. So for that first sketch, I create illustrations on a plane. So you, you mentioned how you've got a bunch of walls to draw on. Actually, um, what I learned is you kind of have to create your own walls. Hmm. So if you're writing text in the air um, and then you stick some text behind it spatially, as a, as a viewer, after the fact, all of that text kind of, competes with itself because you can mm. see through it. It becomes much less legible. So, so yeah, the original layout was basically a plane and then I, I stepped through it. Just kind of had this series of walls behind each other and in the end it actually made um, for a, a viewing experience that was less than optimal. And I, mm. So I had to rethink that for the second sketch. Mm. So, um, and the other thing was the lighting makes a big difference. The first sketch that I did, I had this, there's a bunch of backgrounds you can choose in tilt brush, and one of them is this uh, kind of avocado ground and this peachy colored sky. And I used different colors with that as the background, and it just, I don't know, it just didn't look right. So for the second sketch, 
I rethought the layout and I made it like a spiral. So instead of walking through each plane one at a time, I basically just turned in a circle on the same spot. And so the intention for viewing the sketch was to do the same thing, to rotate on the spot um, from start all the way around to the same point in a circle for the finish. And that just made for a much clearer consuming of the content. Um, so I was really happy with that as a layout. And then the lighting I changed, I made the room really dark and I used a lot of the brushes that are quite light. So there's a, there's a brush called light. There's a, a fire ashes brush. There's kind of flashing neon. So this idea of creating a mood based on the canvas and the tools is something that's very different from what's possible with just pen and paper because you can, you know, it's almost, you know, the uh, neon lights, the, the idea of a car park or, um, fast food takeaway, that kind of vibe, uh, or the movies, that's, that, that kind of mood came across in the lighting and the, the tools that I used for the rest of the sketches. And it was a much more, it was a better fit for the content I was capturing and it, it just basically aesthetically looked better. So that's what I used for the rest of the, the sketches. And I was much happier with it. And it also made, made for a better video afterwards, being able to read the text better. It made, um, for, for browsing online with your mouse made it a much, uh, it, it became more useful. We started to move beyond it being a novelty and being actually a, a fun and useful new way to absorb this content. Mm. So taking advantage of the, of that three dimensional envi environment, rather than just being the same flat thing on planes, you started sort of pushing mood and, and some of those things to make it more interesting from that perspective. Exactly. And really thinking about, how is the person going to view this rather than where can I go next? Because hmm. it's uh, in the moment um, you can just, you, you can go anywhere. So if you do go anywhere, it can actually adversely impact how someone makes sense of what you've sketched. I, I can imagine as you were talking about this, I was thinking about uh, labyrinths and, uh, and things like that where it could be really interesting to build sort of a space ahead of time that's blank, right? And maybe this wouldn't be great for, on the spot sketch noting, maybe it's more for a planned one, but to have it where the story would follow this labyrinth or this pattern, a circular pattern, which sounds like maybe you're talking, you're spinning around, but what if it's a, an environment you walk through somehow? And as you go through it, uh, more of the information is revealed in sketch note form on the, on these, I guess, quote unquote, virtual walls, right. Um, to produce sort of this, yeah. you know, a fully immersive experience of experiencing it and, I could imagine even then, what if uh, you could see it animating and being drawn and hearing the audio. So so imagine you enter a space and you've got the audio playing from the talk or whatever it is. And as you walk through the space, the audio follows you and there's a certain way, maybe there's a way that's guiding you towards uh, towards the end, right? And as you go through it, you're experiencing, you're hearing the talk, but then you're experiencing it in a different way in this 3D space. So by the time you get to the end, it could be designed to have some kind of an emotional impact, right? Rather than just sitting in the crowd and listening to a talk, you're actually, you know, immersed in it. That could be really, really fascinating. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, one thing that I did start doing with these sketches was um, painting my own walls as I go. So mm. changing the brush from, from black to white, giving it a, a thick stroke, and then just basically slapping on a big white wall, um, drawing around it and turning it into a speech bubble if it was a quote from someone and then writing on that wall. So I did a lot of that. I, mm. I guess I'm, I'm drawing from comic conventions yeah, here, which is yeah. part of my style in my script notes. I yes. do a lot of uh, 
thought bubbles and speech bubbles, and uh, that was really useful. I have seen a few comics uh, featured on the Google Toothbrush site. Um, Google site for browsing VR sketches is called Polly, um, and one of the comics that is on there is kind of similar. There's these painted white walls for each frame, and then the creator has drawn these arrows from frame to frame. So you have to follow the arrows to follow it along. So as you walk, it can be almost like, it feels like you're like a labyrinth, like you're stepping through a jungle and you have to um, move behind something that you'd seen previously and through this tunnel of words and pictures to follow the story. And it was, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a very different experience to, um, to follow the story and to feel like you're a part of it. How did you deal with your arm fatigue? Because it sounds to me like you're just drawing in midair. From what I remembered, I was just drawing in air. Like I didn't have a surface to draw on. Did you, did you bring your own hard surface so it wasn't so hard? It didn't feel like a physical workout. It is a mental workout. It, it is quite um, mentally draining, uh, much like sketch noting on pen and paper can be when you're really focused and paying attention. I did read some research that uh, longer than about 60 minutes of wearing a VR headset can um, can lead to uh, you know side effects, and so it's important to not overdo how much time you spend in VR. But I think a huge part of that is just because the headset is quite heavy, and so the bridge of my nose started to hurt a little bit. Um, and it's a bit disorienting when you spent an hour in VR and then you come out. You, you do kind of need to take a break. But uh, but no, my arms are fine. Um, I'm really glad that I didn't offer to sketch every single session of the day just for the keynotes because that would have been been too much and plus it was also good to have the setup there for people between the main sessions to come in and have a play and and view the sketches and, and try it themselves hmm. wow that sounds so fascinating i can't wait to uh to share the notes with everyone so they can dig into it a little more and see what you're talking about yeah i am really proud of um the last three sketches in terms of uh, both the amount of content that I captured, but also the way that it laid out. I think there's still a bit of thinking to be done on, on what's the best layout for this, for, for different types of situations. But, you know, uh, I'm sure as, a, as a, an industry, we'll all figure this out and learn from each other and, and settle upon something. But I think we will learn a lot from the gaming world, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that's where this field is really being pioneered. And so a lot of conventions from onboarding people within video games, I'm sure there's a lot that we can take from that. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's such a, a great new space that uh, really came out of the blue for me, but made total sense once I heard about it. So thanks for, for being a pioneer. And once again, you know, you're doing it good enough for the moment and kept moving and you wouldn't have gotten to the three that you were uh, happy about unless you'd done the first one where you clearly saw the problems, right? It's that, idea of retrospective looking back on the things that you did so you can improve right it's not it's not criticism of the things that you've done just to be critical but it's actually to say well that didn't work real well what if i did this other thing right it pushes you in a positive direction i think that's the mindset to have around the, this kind of especially experimental work absolutely and um i guess a lot of that just comes down to just backing yourself and having some confidence to try something and not be too rattled by or worried what other people might say. You know, you're, you're doing something, it's progress, you're moving forward, and that's the main thing. Yeah, exactly. I th- and you're, you're coming about, is it Australia, or is it something else where people are complaining about you doing something new? Like, I think that's human. People are resistant to change or think it's frivolous. Um, 
people thought social media was frivolous and now look, look at how impactful it is on our world. Right. So I think, uh, I think it's just a matter of time. Let's go to, um, let's go to the next thing, which is, uh, tools that you use. So I know that you do analog and I know that you do digital and you probably have a, a quite a span. I, you can talk a little bit about the 3d stuff as well in case someone has access to those and wants an app or, Maybe they've been kicking around going into 3D, and this is the maybe this is the podcast to tip them over the edge to try it. So let's start with analog and work your way through digital, and then finally we can wrap with the 3D gear that you've uh, that you've started with. Sure thing. The analog tools that I use, I so a lot of the sketches I do these days are um, graphic recordings of conferences and, and workshops. So I'm working large scale, so I don't do a lot of small scale sketch notes anymore. Um, it's really like a three meter by one meter um, canvas of paper on the wall. And um, I have become a convert of the Neuland markers. Um, oh yeah, they're, they're amazing. Yeah, the, this German company have got an incredible product. They're, they're refillable, they're non-toxic, they don't bleed through the paper, they feel lovely to hold in your hand. And um, yeah, I've just become, actually become such a convert that I approached them and offered to be the Australian and New Zealand reseller. Oh, great. So I'm actually in the process of uh, waiting for a large, yeah, a large pallet of markers and refill bottles to arrive, <laughs> actually, hopefully tomorrow. Excellent. I was hoping they'd get here before Christmas so that I could run a Christmas campaign and try and sell some products in the lead up to Christmas, but unfortunately there were delays with the delivery, so it's, um, I'm going to have to be patient and wait until the new year, but that's okay. But yeah, I've got a, uh, a warehouse lined up and um, an online store that we're just tweaking at the moment. Can I give the store a plug, Mike, for any Australian readers? I'm a huge fan of Neuland. In fact, I'm a new ambassador. I just joined the ambassador crew here in the States. So I've had experience. I talked to Guido and, and Verena. Awesome. And the, 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 the products are great. The people are great. Like everything that they do is just doing it the right way. So please, please do that. Yeah, great. So I, I met Guido at the IFVP too, which is how this conversation came about. But um, graphicgear.com.au is the website. But uh, it's not live at the moment, but it may be up by the time this podcast goes to air. So any Australian or New Zealand uh, listeners who are interested in getting some Norland products and don't want to pay for the shipping charges or the delays in ordering from Germany, oh, great idea. Um, hopefully I'll have... Yeah, I'll have some products available for sale there for folks who are interested in yeah, graphic recording, uh, sketchnoting, what have you, graphic gear. Um, in terms of other tools, I, I don't have any specific paper that I use. I'm kind of experimenting with different sheets. I, I did realize the other day that I was recording a video and the, the markers that I was using on one of the large sheets, the color looked very different from the small A4 sheet of paper that I was sketching on. So... Um, I don't have any recommendations, but I suppose what I would say is be conscious that the paper matters and that if you get paper that has different thickness or finish, then the markers can come up very different hmm. between different sheets. So probably good to, uh, to figure, figure out what your, what your substrate, what your material is that you're going to work on and stick with it. Yeah, especially if it's a, if it's a client project. I, I've just got this one supplier for the paper that I use and I, I don't deviate from that because it's a, a predictable known quantity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of other tips, uh, I mean, y your book is a great resource. Uh, Brandy Adjebeck, who's a, a very prolific educator and, and graphic recorder from the US, I actually had the good fortune of attending 
one of her courses recently. She was out in Melbourne just a couple of weeks ago. So six of us participated in her graphic recording three-day lab, mm. which was she's just a, a gold mine of tips and experience. Definitely. And so um, I'm a big fan of big fan of her book, The Graphic Facilitator's Guide, um, which uh, has just been such a useful thing. I, I buy it for all my team. It's a useful. Uh, tool, even if you're not thinking of moving into graphic facilitation as a career, but just in terms of the ways that she thinks about how to capture content and frameworks that you can hang things off mm-hmm. and ways that you can work quicker and capture more content rather than... Um, so for me personally, in the past, what I've struggled with has been um, doing lots of drawings and probably missing some of the key points and then going, well, it doesn't matter that I didn't capture that because the illustrations look good. But actually, if you're engaged and paid by a client to capture something, then that's probably not a good excuse just because it looks pretty and needs to be functional as well. Yeah. So, um, so she, she's really got some great tips on, on how to remove iconitis for those people who just kind of fixate on drawing individual items and, and, trying to capture the content and having some interesting layouts um, to structure your capture. So her book, I definitely recommend. Mm-hmm. Good. And then uh, digital tools, uh, it sounds like if you're doing more um, more of this graphic facilitation and graphic recording, again, you're typically working larger scale. Are there any tools that you are using for any of that planning or uh, those kind of things, iPad Pros, Surfaces, any of those things yet? Or have you pretty much gone either analog with the large-scale sheets and then uh, the 3D? Um, I do have a, a, a lovely large Wacom Cintiq that I use in the office for studio work for um, kind of polishing sketches and, and photoshopping things. I've never used that to do live capture. I have used the iPad Pro to capture uh, a conference once. Um, I think it, it's going to take a lot of practice for me to get really good at that um, so the app that I used was called Procreate. That's a, a Australian piece of software. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's it's it's very popular. Yeah, they've um, they've done a great job. It's a small uh, small team down in Tasmania, and um, yes, with the Apple Pencil Stylus, it's a really responsive. Like it's as close as I've found for, for drawing on pencil and paper. So I'm sure, like with a bit of practice, that would become a, a really great tool for taking digital sketch notes. I just haven't um, had the opportunity to, to practice enough to feel like I'm good enough to offer it as a service. Mm, sure, but sure. I do play around with Procreate just um, just for fun rather than uh, professionally. And then, um, yeah, in terms of the VR setup, the headset that I use is called the HTC Vive and that app that I mentioned earlier, Google Tilt Brush. I've played with some other sketching apps. There's one called Node, but it's not... It's really just a, a very basic mind mapping tool. It looks kind of fun to connect things in 3D space, but um, it's kind of limited unless that's all you're doing. So, um, yeah, if, if people have the money this Christmas to buy themselves or someone they love a, a VR headset, then the Oculus or the HTC, both of them run Tilt Brush and um, they could have a play with sketching in VR. And as a bonus, some of the games that come with the tool are just incredible. <laughs> wow, wow. And as I understand it, um, this kind of stuff obviously is pretty heavy in the computing side. So you probably have to buy, probably to figure into that would be a pretty decent PC to run that stuff. Um, 
as well, right? That's exactly right. I had to buy a, a gaming laptop. Um, I, I'm a, a Mac guy. I've used Apple products for years. And unfortunately, the current line of Apple products just don't have the graphics cards to support VR. I know that they're talking about it, and I'm sure they're around the corner, but they haven't caught up yet. So in the meantime, it's a, yeah, it's a, an MSI gaming laptop. I basically went into the electronics store, and, and there's a guy there that I know and trust because he's a real geek and, and a gamer, and I just picked his brains and what's the best model to, to run VR, and, and I settled on the right mix of um, grunt and portability. So it's something that I can pack up and take with me on a plane because this, this conference I flew to was, was in Sydney. So I had to take my VR headset and my laptop and everything on, on the plane. Um, and that worked really well. It's a, it's a great, um, it's a great laptop. It, I have no, it's actually for, for anyone who's never put on a VR headset, it is incredible just how immersive the experience is. There's no lag. You turn, you turn your head and it's instant. There's no kind of delay. And it's often in many of the games, it's not blocky at all. It really, like combined with good sound design, you just, you believe that you're in this other world. It's really amazing how much the mind can be tricked with with the combination of good uh, visuals and, and audio. Wow. Well, that's that's helpful, I think, um, for somebody who's considering it. And I know, I can imagine the guy who I know had more of a gaming uh uh, tower. So, I mean, that'd be something you need a Pelican case to travel around. Wouldn't be ideal for the kind of work you do. So uh, that makes sense to go with a gaming laptop that's got the same power in a small package. So really fascinating, really um, a new space that I hadn't really thought of uh, until that you brought it up. And uh, I think it's great that you're leading the edge there. And I imagine people who are interested in the crossover between gaming and this will, maybe they hadn't, maybe they hadn't thought of it either. And it could be an interesting opportunity to see more people experimenting in this space, which is great. Absolutely. And I, I think a, a huge, huge kudos to the Google team for the Tilt Brush app because, you know, not every app would lend itself to being able to be learned quickly enough and to be able to switch tools quickly in the moment, to be able to do stuff in real time um, requires some, some great design. And so they really, they're onto something with like, so on the, for example, on my left hand, I switch between tools quickly with my left thumb and then I point to it with my right hand and I can switch from, yeah, like I said, neon to a black line to a thick white canvas. And so the flexibility of being able to change tools in order to create a sketch that is going to be legible and, and look good uh, in the moment is a real credit to, um, to the way the tool's been designed. Hmm. Sounds like maybe they've had some designers both working on the user interface as well as maybe the actual use of it so they can make sure it's you know, fulfilling the goals that they want for it, for that software. It's, it's Google. So, um, yeah, they, they've got the best of the best. So it's not a huge surprise that the product's awesome. Yes, definitely. I'd like to have guests share three tips with listeners. We'll assume that there's someone listening who is uh, into sketchnoting. They're excited about it. They've gotten into it and they're starting to do it. And maybe they need just a little encouragement that they should keep on going. And uh, can be tips of any kind. It can be mental tips. It can be physical tips. Uh, anything that you think might be helpful for someone who's just getting going and uh, is excited and wants some more encouragement and, and inspiration? Sure thing. Well, I think for me, the, the biggest benefit that I was able to achieve is just purely by sharing what I was doing. I mentioned at the start of our chat that simply by sharing the sketches that I was doing on the internet, you know, you spotted them and 
were good enough to invite me to contribute to your book. And then my friend Mike at Microsoft, he spotted them and he pointed me into the direction of the, the sketch videos and he, he asked me to come and do it at a conference. I mean, without the internet, my company wouldn't exist because those opportunities were a direct result of me just being um, confident enough to, to put it out there and go, I took a sketch of something and here it is. And I knew that I wasn't 100% happy with those sketches and um, I knew that I could do better, but I also knew that what I'd captured of the, the talks that I was listening to was valuable to people. So I was, uh, I was adding something worthwhile that people would find value in. And that's what I focused on, I suppose, was like, here, I'm doing something that people will benefit from. And it doesn't matter that it's not perfect because people will appreciate the effort that's gone into it and they'll appreciate the content behind it. And, um, yeah, so just uh, as you're working, sharing stuff and maybe thinking about sharing it in terms of not I've done a great job, here it is, but more I've started this sketch noting journey and this is the next part of my progress. This is where I'm at. Maybe that's a, a less scary way to think about sharing your work. So definitely recommend sharing. So the second tip I have is for practicing at home. Uh, one of the tips that I wrote in my sketch in your book, Mike, was to sketch TED Talks. But I think uh, since that time, I've revisited whether that's a great idea. The problem with TED Talks is that they're really dense. You know, those TED Talk speakers um, spend so much time refining their presentations and their content. There's not a lot of light and shade. There's basically just kind of solid gold for 8 or 12 or 18 minutes, and that can be hard and, and feel overwhelming. So um, these days I recommend sketching podcasts instead. You know, the podcasts like this one are a lot more conversational. They're a lot more reflective of the kinds of talks and discussions that you might be sketching in the real world. So I think uh, it's a gentler way to practice. And uh, when people have conversations and they go on tangents, that's a really great way to practice your listening as well and, and your filtering for what's relevant and what's the sidetrack that may or may not be worth capturing. So, yeah, sketching podcasts is another great tip. So my third tip is uh, I would really encourage people to, to start practicing large scale. Um, it might be hard to find a space on the wall at home to draw bigger and it might feel like a waste to put up sheets of paper that you then pull down and, and try again with. But I've really found a lot of joy in moving from small scale to large scale. So in general, people refer to small scale sketch notes as, as sketch noting and large scale sketch notes as graphic recording. And um, yeah, graphic recording, uh, not only is it fun to work big and to move your arm across the whole wall, but if you ever reach the point where it's something that you can offer a client or a conference um, as a service, it's, it's so much more impressive. Basically, the bigger, the better. Anytime I'm engaged to sketch a conference, I'll always try and work with the organisers to create as big a canvas as possible because having the freedom of a huge space and, getting, um, and then getting some large markers like the Norland big one, it's a fantastic marker with a, a big thick wedge tip that you can really just go to town and have some fun and create this huge mural and it's really rewarding and people are always impressed when you work at large scale. So for anyone who's kind of keeping themselves within the confines of a, an A4 or a, a smaller kind of uh, notebook, 
um, I'd challenge you to think about taking your sketching to the larger scale and, and, and see what you can do on a big canvas. I would, I would uh, second uh, that as well. And I think um, I've had experience for a couple of years working on, I would guess maybe it's called medium scale whiteboards. Um, but having that expansive space is just so freeing and and luxurious in some ways, right? You just can keep going and going and you don't feel like you have to shuffle pages, right? It's just all spread out before you and you can sort of work in any way that makes sense. So I, I, I think that's a great recommendation as well. Exactly. And I think that's part of the appeal for me working in VR is having such an expansive canvas to operate in. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for uh, making time for us uh, and talking to me from the other side of the world. I know it's uh, it's my afternoon and it's your morning, so uh, enjoy your coffee as I go have dinner. And uh, uh, appreciate you being on the show and uh, and sharing this really unique perspective on sketchnoting using VR headset and, and tools. Uh, I think it's 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 going to be an interesting space to to watch, and uh, I'm excited that you're the one of the people leading in that space. So. Thank you for uh, being a leader and uh, leading us into new places. Mike, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on the podcast and for you know, all the work that you've done over the years um, teaching people and um, inspiring people with all of your sketches. Uh, it's a great honour. And yeah, if anyone wants to reach out and connect to chat about um, sketch noting or, or VR sketching, um, they can hit me up on Twitter. I'm uh, at Sketch Group, Sketch is uh, S-K-E-T-C-H-G-R-P, Sketch Group. The, um, the Sketch Group Twitter handle was taken, unfortunately. Uh. Um, or they can, yeah, they can just con- contact me through sketchgroup.com. Got it, got it. And we'll have all those uh, links in the show notes for everyone so you can pour through the show notes and find all this stuff and enjoy it. I think that will wrap the show for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Matthew, for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Sketch Note Armory Podcast. 